You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Hey, City Tribe. Welcome to our ninth teaching in our series of sermons titled Better Recognized. For the last eight weeks, our tribe has journeyed through John's eyewitness account about Jesus in order to become more familiar with, that is, to better recognize who Jesus is, his personality, his preferences, and his perspective. Last week, our journey hit a turning point as we entered John's details of Jesus's final hours before death. And as I posed the question last week, I'm going to pose it again this week. If you knew that you were in the final hours of your life, wouldn't you be deliberate about every word and every deed that you would say and do? Well, the answer to that question is, of course you would. Of course you would be exceptionally deliberate to make the most of your final moments. And because Jesus was in his final moments, many scholars believe, and I believe, that the teachings we're now unpacking are the most intimate, most intentional, and most impactful teachings in the scriptures And as such, I said this last week, the teachings over the next few weeks have the potential to change your life if you let them penetrate and permeate your heart and your mind. And actually, this week, I doubled down on that statement. In fact, I believe this week's teaching, because it builds upon last week's teaching, that it's even more significant. Here's why I believe that. I believe that we were all created to flourish and not flounder. I believe God intended for you and for me to live life in its fullest possible quality, a life of purpose and passion and peace and power and promise. And Jesus's teachings that we are going to unpack today, they tell us precisely how to experience such a life. It's just one discipline. And there's just one thing you and I need to do daily to ensure we live life in its fullest possible quality. So I'm pumped for you to hear what Jesus taught is that single discipline that unlocks life to the full. Well, all right. Are y'all ready to learn what that one discipline is? Yes? Well, let's pray and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, your word, your scriptures say that you will testify, that you will give evidence for your existence and for who you are. And so, Lord, as we unpack your teachings today, I pray that your spirit would give evidence to us, that you will testify to us, whether we're a longtime believer or if this is our first time tuning in and we're spiritual investigators. So today, Lord, speak to us. Teach us something new. We are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what did Jesus in his final hours teach that was so significant it has the power to change your life and my life? What is that one discipline that we can do daily such that we will flourish and not flounder? Well, we pick up today where we left off in John's account last week. Jesus had just done the unthinkable for his day and age. He did an act that was reserved for the most shameful of slaves in his day. He, a respectable teacher, postured himself lower than his disciples, and he washed 
their feet. With his disciples feeling a bit awkward and a bit perplexed as to what had just happened, Jesus said to them, you call me teacher and Lord. And his disciples would have nodded in agreement as if to say, absolutely, Jesus. We have devoted ourselves to your instruction and your way of life. And yes, you, Jesus, you are our king. To which Jesus affirmed that they had correctly identified who he was. And he continued, you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. Now, Jesus had just shown them how hospitable he is by giving their feet the spa treatment. So I imagine everyone was excitedly expecting yet another special treat for correctly identifying who Jesus was. But to everyone's disappointment, this encouraging conversation took an unexpected turn. Jesus didn't announce another spa treatment. No, he established an expectation for everyone who calls him Lord and teacher. He said, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought, everyone say ought, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, the word ought, it's a legal term that means one is legally bound to carry out a certain deed. Ought means it was one's required responsibility. So it's as if Jesus said, since you claim I'm your king, then you are obligated to show hospitality and care to others. It is your required responsibility. Now, none of this would have surprised Jesus's disciples to have heard. It was actually quite common in Jesus's day for teachers to establish for their disciples what was expected of them. And not just that, they'd heard similar expectations their entire lives. You see, according to the scriptures, our Old Testament, they were already legally required to care for others. For example, one of their Jewish laws stated, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus' disciples, they already knew that they were to show hospitality to and care for others. And because this was nothing new, nothing earth-shattering, the disciples would have awaited the part that typically came next. The disciples would have anticipated their teacher's interpretation of his expectation. Kind of like how preachers today can each study the exact same scriptures, yet all have very different teachings. Well, teachers in Jesus's day, they often had their own interpretations of what God's laws meant to them. They put their own spin on the scriptures to distinguish their school of thought from other teachers' school of thought. Many teachers made God's laws circumstantial and conditional. They added ifs and buts and other loopholes, which made the scriptures, the laws, more palatable and more appealing to live out. For example, when interpreting what God required concerning care for one's fellow kinsmen, first century rabbi Akiva gave his commentary on that law. He said, your life takes precedence over his life. And interpretations like this, interpretations that prioritize the self over others, well, they were the norm in Jesus's day. And so, the disciples likely waited for Jesus's interpretation that would let them off the hook from having to wash someone's feet. They probably wondered, okay, 
when is that however coming? Or come on, Jesus, give us that if and that when. Their brains likely began to process any loopholes, like how are we going to get out of this requirement? Because ain't no way I'm doing what he just did. And then Jesus, always full of surprises, he dropped a bomb on them. And it's as if Jesus knew what they were thinking and as if he thought, oh, you want my interpretation of the phrase ought to wash one another's feet? You want my commentary as to what exactly I mean by your required responsibility? Well, here it is. And without mincing his words, he said to them, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. In other words, the only interpretation of my requirement that you need is the very action I just demonstrated. There are no ifs or howevers or buts or only whens. No, what I require is not conditional. Jesus required his disciples to pattern their treatment of others precisely after how he had just treated them, which meant that they had to care for even their opposers like he did. Y'all, this interpretation of what it meant to care for others was revolutionary for humans. This was never before heard and never before seen. And here's why. For the first time in human history, what God expects wasn't interpreted by a flawed, biased man and with conditions. But Jesus, our perfect God himself, revealed in human form, interpreted his own expectation without conditions. He personally demonstrated what he required of his followers. So there was no muddying what he meant. And just in case, just in case there were any lingering questions about what exactly Jesus required, he clarified even further. He said, I give you a new command. Now this word command, it's not exactly how you and I might think of it. It's not simply an order or an instruction from an authority. Command, as John recorded it, meant this was Jesus's expected end result for your life. So Jesus essentially said to his disciples, I give you a new expected end result for your life. I hereby establish a never before seen target on the wall that you should aim for every single moment of every single day. And if you've not had a vision for what your life should look like, Jesus put it plain and simple for us. And it's not how much wealth you and I could amass. It's not how many properties or projects you and I can add to our portfolios. Jesus' expected end result for how your life and how my life should look, it isn't even to become very influential. No, Jesus' established expected end result for your life and for my life looks like this. He said, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. You and I, we live up to who we were created to be and how we were created to conduct ourselves when we demonstrate 
a love for others that patterns exactly the love Jesus demonstrated for his disciples and his opposers, his enemies. Now, I get the word love in our day is pretty loaded. It has a lot of baggage with it. We might associate love with familial affection like I have for my daughter or even erotic feelings for a significant other. We use the word love to express approval like, oh, I love that shirt. Or if you're like me, you might even shed a tear of appreciation as you tell your breakfast tacos before you eat them, I love you. So for clarity's sake, how exactly had Jesus loved his disciples? How might you and I know we're living up to his expected end result for how our lives should look? Well, we saw this in last week's teaching titled, Not of This World. And if you've not yet watched or listened, carve out time this week to do so because we don't have time right now to unpack it in detail. But for the sake of our conversation, here it is in brief. What we unpacked in that teaching is Jesus demonstrated love for others in this way. Though he was deeply agonized and anguished at his impending crucifixion, and though it was completely counter to his culture's view that one's own life takes precedence over others, Jesus deliberately denied his emotions and his entitlements. And he denied the first century world's perspectives And he instead purposefully prioritized his disciples' well-being, even his betrayer's well-being, Judas. He intentionally postured himself lower than they to ensure they felt rested and refreshed. And so Jesus defined love as others' lives and their well-being taking a precedence over his own. And in addition to that, he said, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it. So Jesus's very example and his very words are the reason why I've come to define love in this two-part way. And this definition has been helpful for me to know if my words, I love you, align with my actions. So my hope is that you and your family or your future family will henceforth define love in a similar way. And just so you know, I will not officiate your wedding unless you agree to a similar definition of love. To love as Jesus demonstrated means to deliberately deny yourself and purposefully prioritize others. To love as Jesus loved, to love as he demonstrated means to deliberately deny yourself despite what you want and deserve and think or feel, and then you purposefully prioritize others. You give precedence to a life, not your own. The way to know that you're living the life you were created to live is to assess whether or not your life reflects this definition. And if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then it's critical you aspire to live out this definition daily. Remember, it's your required responsibility because this revolutionary teaching It's what distinguished Jesus from all the other teachers in history. It was his unique strategy for the world to better recognize who he truly is and what he's all about. Jesus even said, by this, by living out this definition, the world will recognize, everyone will recognize that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you prioritize 
others. Now, Jesus values this self-denying, others-prioritizing way of life so greatly that he even prayed to God the Father. Have you ever wondered what Jesus wants from you? Well, to find out, all you have to do is read what he prayed for you. Here's what he wants from you. Here's what he prayed. I have given them the glory you have given me. God, I have shown them the essence of who they are, that they are not of this world so that they may be made completely one. So they'd know they're all created in your image and thus are united in prioritizing one another. Why? That the world may recognize you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What Jesus wants for you and what he wants for me is that we would live up to his expected end result for our lives. He wants you and me to love others, even our opposers, the way that he loved. And so that we can point the world to his not of this world kingdom and so that we can bring about peace and joy in our current world. Now, let me ask you, it's a completely hypothetical question. So even if you don't have children, please play along. If you set an extremely high expectation for how your children or your hypothetical children should conduct themselves, and that expectation was so important to you, you even passionately prayed to God to help them meet that expectation, and then your children actually attempted to be an answer to your prayer and attempted to meet your expectation, what then might you do for them to show your appreciation and to reinforce their decision to keep acting that way? Even if they failed at their attempt to meet your expectation, what might you do? My guess is you'd express your gratitude for them in some way, right? You'd probably demonstrate your appreciation for their efforts and their attempts by not withholding your affection from them. You might shower them in gifts and entrust them with more responsibility to show them how proud you are. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said he would do for his disciples who attempted to be an answer to his prayer. Jesus promised to not withhold his blessings, his affection, his joy, and his peace from anyone who attempts to love as he loved. He said, if you know these things, you are what? Say that word, blessed. If you do them, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And just to demonstrate how serious he was about rewarding your efforts and my efforts to live up to his expectation for our lives, Jesus again reiterated his promise to show up in our lives. He said, the one who has my commands and keeps them, the one who deliberately denies himself or herself and prioritizes others, is the one who loves me, is the one who prioritizes me. And the one who loves me, the one who prioritizes me, will be loved, will be prioritized by my Father. And I also will love him. I will prioritize him and will reveal myself to him. I will show up in that person's life. So it doesn't get any more clear than that. If you and I so much as attempt to do what Jesus expects, he will bless you. He promised he would show up in your life in some way to show you how proud he is of your efforts. And here's what's amazing about Jesus's expectation for you 
and for me to give priority to others' lives. From a purely scientific standpoint, you will in fact be blessed. Here's what I mean. According to the book, Compassionomics, the impact of putting people first is astounding. Prioritizing others lowers stress and blood pressure. Prioritizing others, it reduces one's perception of pain and it makes the unbearable bearable. Prioritizing others, putting other people first, it lowers the odds of complications with diabetes and improves overall blood sugar. Prioritizing others enhances your immune system and it helps wounds heal faster. It produces a calm delight and it thus alleviates depression and anxiety. It promotes healing from trauma and prioritizing others improves your ability to think and remember. And so, just as Jesus promised, if you prioritize others as he demonstrated, you will be blessed at least physiologically and psychologically. It's as if Jesus knew somehow how our bodies are designed and he thus prescribed what the medicine is that we need. Y'all, this is what John wanted you and me to better recognize about who Jesus is. Everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did was deliberate. It was for you and it was for me, for all of us. He has a higher perspective and he is for you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to experience life as he intended, life in its fullest possible quality because he is a good God, full of grace. Come on, somebody in the chat. Can I get a thank you, Jesus, up in here? Now, everybody who's watching or listening, especially if you're unhappy, unfulfilled, or depressed, do you want to, as Jesus himself stated, be blessed? Do you want Jesus to, like a proud parent, pour out his appreciation onto you for your efforts to love as he loved? Yes? Well, then here's what you gotta do. There are no ifs, howevers, buts, or loopholes to any of this. Jesus was crystal clear, and the scientific evidence backs up his command. As counterintuitive and countercultural as it sounds, you have to decide that you will live making every effort to give others precedence over yourself. You have to wake up each morning at least attempting to deliberately deny yourself and purposefully prioritize others, even if you failed the day before. That means when you feel exhausted and you wanna just veg out in front of Netflix or YouTube, you deny those feelings and you prioritize the housework that your spouse has asked you to help with. It means you wake up each morning not aiming to make a name for yourself in your field or to be a rock star in your tribe or your club, but you wake up attempting to be a rock star in your own home and you show your family that their lives take precedence. It means if you're depressed, as hard as it is, you deliberately deny the desire to isolate and ruminate. You deny the desire to keep to yourself and you instead prioritize connecting with those who are concerned for you. It means deliberately denying the fear to be seen as uncool by coworkers and classmates and you instead befriend the employee or the student that they always bully or gossip about. 
It means deliberately denying the desire to put your teammate or employee in his place or her place that you lash out and tell them off and you instead purposely prioritize helping them succeed in their role. You find out their needs, find out their challenges, find out their goals. And it means you deliberately deny loyalty to a particular political party. And you instead purposefully prioritize understanding the interests of your neighbor with differing ideologies. The life we want, the life Jesus wants for us, the blessings he wants to give us, it's all rooted in giving precedence to others just as he demonstrated. Now, if you feel a bit uneasy about Jesus's expectation for your life, you're not alone. His disciples undoubtedly would have felt anxious about it too. I mean, think about this. We talked about it last week. No one in the first century lived the way that Jesus prescribed. It was a status-obsessed culture. And so his disciples would have been going against the social norm. And they'd surely make people curious with their different behavior. And let's be honest, even in our world today, when someone treats us kindly, we're a little suspicious about them. We're a little curious about them. We think they're weird and we want to know their angle. And I know this personally. When I was in high school, there was this girl I had a crush on. And uh, I had a plan to show her that I wasn't like those other guys. I was a cool guy. I was a gentleman who listened to her interests and who would put her first. So when she mentioned her favorite drink, I made a mental note about it so that I could surprise her with one in the future. And the next time she and I hung out, well, I set out to do just that. I showed up to her house with that refreshing drink in hand and dressed like Justin Timberlake in his NSYNC days with a beige bandana and all denim outfit, so who couldn't resist that, right? And then I rang the doorbell, confident I was about to win over my crush. And when she opened up the door and I handed her her favorite drink, this is how she reacted. Ew! What's wrong with you? That's creepy. <laughs> Talk about mortifying, right? She had me feeling like Will Smith. How come she don't want me, man? And this is why. This is why to this day, I hate Starbucks and I hate venti vanilla Italian cream sodas. <laughs> I'm kidding. But seriously, her response, it perfectly highlighted just how unnatural and unexpected it is for people to feel prioritized. It's just weird to the world. And so the disciples knew that if they lived according to Jesus's never before heard expectation for their lives, the culture around them would be like my high school crush. Ew, what's wrong with you? They knew the world around them would think that they were creepy and weak and worthless. They'd be humiliated, the laughing stock of their communities. They probably thought what some of you are thinking right now. Like, Lee, I hear what you're saying. I like Jesus. I hear what he's saying. But prioritizing others won't work at my house or at my job. I'd get eaten alive. I'd be walked all over. I won't get anywhere in this dog-eat-dog -dog profession. And so hearing Jesus' new command, I am certain the disciples were sick to their stomachs, worried. And they weren't just worried about being seen as creepy or weak. They also worried about this. So think about when your parent or teacher 
or your boss sets goals that seem unattainable, sets goals that are impossible, you might feel a lot of pressure to perform. You can't help but get anxious knowing you are sure to fail, you're doomed. And if you're like me, you then start to fear the fallout of your inevitable failure. And such was the case with the disciples. They weren't just worried that others would view them as weak. They feared also what Jesus would think when they failed. They feared like what was so common among other teachers in that day that Jesus would eventually cast them away. And then they truly have nothing and no one to live for. That's a frightening thought. Now, if this countercultural, unmeetable expectation wasn't anxiety-inducing enough for the disciples, Jesus, their protector, the only reason they had any hope they'd be all right attempting to love others, Jesus then dropped an even bigger bomb on them. He said, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. Jesus told his disciples that he was leaving them. And some probably choked on their food like Idris Elba choked on hot wings. <clears throat> what? And then, like when military children learn their parent is getting deployed and they won't be able to visit, I imagine the disciples' hearts broke and sank into their stomachs with what Jesus said next. He said, you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews... So now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now let's pause here for just a moment. Let's not simply gloss over how heavy a moment this would have been for the disciples. Jesus had just piled upon them terrible news upon terrible news upon terrible news. All at once, they would have felt anxious, that they'd be seen as creepy and weak to the world around them. They would have felt afraid that they'd inevitably fail Jesus and be cast away. They would have felt abandoned, that they'd be without their protector, the only one who had ever made them feel important, like they had any worth. The mental and the emotional weight all at once in that moment would have been too great for the disciples to bear. The room would have been sorrowfully silent, everyone in utter shock. What hope did they have that they'd ever experience joy and peace again? And how would their inevitable failure to live up to Jesus' expectation, his required responsibility, how would it impact their invitation to be a part of his kingdom? Well, Jesus address their anxiety and their angst. And he urged them to deliberately deny those thoughts and feelings of fear and abandonment. He commanded them. And he commands us who think we won't ever be able to love like Jesus loved. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. And then Jesus reminded them why they didn't need to feel anxious and afraid. He reminded them of this truth that we've seen over and over in this better recognized series. He reminded them what happens when we believe, when we accept and affirm that Jesus is God. He said, you believe in God, you believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? You believe I'm going to prepare a place for you. Did you catch that? Jesus reminded his disciples because they believed in him, there was a place for them in his father's house. According to Jesus himself, they didn't need to feel anxious or afraid. And you and I don't need to feel anxious or afraid that we won't live up to Jesus's expectation for our lives to love as he loved. We can find comfort in knowing that even if we don't keep his command, we will not be cast away. There is still a place for you and a place for me in his father's house, in his not of this world kingdom. Because loving as Jesus loved is not a requirement for eternal life. In fact, Jesus continued to assure his disciples that he would not cast them out or reject them. He even promised he would return for them. He said, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. And then to cement his assurance in their hearts and in their minds so that they would have a sense of peace about their futures with him, Jesus reminded his anxious disciples that they had already met that single requirement to enter into eternity with him. And it wasn't about what they would do, but entering his father's house was about who they already knew. Jesus, God himself, straight up said, you know the way to where I'm going. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Me, Jesus. And so, even when you fail, like I so often fail, at loving as Jesus demonstrated. He is still so gracious to prepare a place in his father's house for everyone who simply accepts and affirms that he is God. And so you and I don't have to be anxious about how we'll be received by others because this is not our home. And you and I don't need to be afraid to fail because Jesus said there's already a place for us in his father's house. We can have hope and peace for our futures because we know the way to the Father, belief in Jesus. And so, what about the here and now? What hope do we have to keep Jesus's command so we can experience his blessings in the here and now and flourish in this physical world? What's so amazing about who Jesus is is how gracious he is, that his graciousness didn't stop at giving us assurance for eternity only. Jesus knew he'd given his disciples and you and me an unattainable expectation to aspire to in this world. And let's be real, no matter how hard I try, it's impossible for me to get right denying myself daily and prioritizing even my own family. And so Jesus knew we'd all need some help to keep his commands and to be a beneficiary of his blessings. It's why he generously threw in another perk into his followers' welcome package. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, someone of the same likeness and essence as me, to be with you forever. 
He is the spirit of truth and will be in you. You're not alone in your efforts. The word counselor, it literally means the legal advocate who makes wise judgment calls because he's close to the situation. And Jesus said his wise advocate, his Holy Spirit will be with you and in you forever. Now, I teach a little bit more on the Spirit in week three titled Consumed and week five titled The Bread of Life. But how exactly does this counselor help us keep Jesus's command and experience his blessings? Well, a few months ago, while on a major highway here in San Antonio, my wife, our infant, and I were rear-ended into another vehicle at a relatively high speed. It was kind of frightening. Our car had some damage, and we had to take our daughter to the emergency room, and my wife, Christine, suffered some injuries and had a few months of physical therapy. The whole ordeal was a pain in the rear end. As insurance payers and the incident being not our fault, we expected our vehicle to be fully restored, of course, and we expected our medical bills to be fully covered by the at-fault driver's insurance. We had an expected end result. Thankfully, we have a family friend who agreed to serve as our legal counsel, and our legal counsel taught us exactly what to say and what to do to expedite the process. They reminded us of what needed to get submitted and by when, They guided me, completely ignorant to all of this legal stuff, step by step the entire way. They spoke on our behalf to the other insurance company and the other attorney, and they declared to us what was to come. The entire time, our legal counsel was by our side, and they were our advocates to ensure that we got the expected end results. The help our legal counsel gave my family is an earthly picture of what Jesus promised his spirit will do. He said, and if you're taking notes, write down the verbs that I emphasize. He said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus also said the spirit will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak of his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Like my family friend counseled me to ensure Christine and I got our expected results from the insurance companies, the counselor, Jesus' Holy Spirit will teach, remind, guide, speak, and declare to you to ensure you are blessed, to ensure you're living up to Jesus's expected results for your life and his required responsibility. So how might we start to access our counselor, Jesus's spirit's wisdom today? What might you and I do to get the help that we need to meet Jesus's required responsibility to love as he loves so that we are blessed? Well, Jesus gave us another example as to what he did, another example as to how we should imitate him. And it's the one discipline that we can do such that by doing it, life will be easier. He said, the words I speak to you I do not speak on my own. 
The Father who lives in me does his works. Jesus said he does nothing on his own. He let his father, the counselor, make all the calls in his life. What he said and what he did was controlled by the father. And so the one discipline that you can do such that everything else in life will be easier is this. Live constantly connected with your counselor and let him make the calls. Live constantly connected with your counselor and let him make the calls. When you're finding it difficult to deny your disgust and bitterness toward your spouse who hurt you, ask the Holy Spirit, will you teach me how to care for my spouse again and let him make the calls as to what to do. When you've got no desire to posture yourself lower than your arrogant boss or your arrogant teammate, ask the Holy Spirit, would you remind me that Jesus washed the feet of even his betrayer, Judas, and let him make the call as to how you should conduct yourself. When you have no idea how to navigate your faith in this politically charged season, ask the Holy Spirit, will you guide me to prioritize your kingdom movement above any political party and let him make the call as to how you should live out your faith? When you are just fed up with your family or you're strongly disagreeing with someone what they have said, ask the Spirit, will you speak on my behalf so the only words that come out of my mouth are life-giving and let your counselor make the call as to what you should say. When you feel anxious, afraid, or abandoned, when you're depressed with suicidal thoughts, ask the Spirit, will you declare to me the great works you still have left for me to do in this world and let him make the call for you to live. Listen, the one discipline that you and I can do such that by doing it, we will flourish in this world is to follow Jesus's example, stay constantly connected to the counselor and let the counselor make the calls. And so whether first thing in the morning, sitting on your porch, while you're on a walk or you're in the shower, you're driving in your car, between calls and meetings, all throughout your day, live constantly connected with your counselor and let him make the calls for how you should live. He will empower you to deny yourself and prioritize others. And through him, you will be blessed as Jesus shows up in your life to shower you with his affection. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, our counselor, we pray that you would lead us every moment of every day. Would you bring to our minds, teach us how we can live constantly connected to you. Would you remind us how Jesus did nothing of his own initiative, but every word he spoke and every work he did it originated from you. So help us live constantly connected to you and help us allow you to make the calls in our life because we want to be blessed. We want to flourish. And ultimately, we want to put your love on display for the world to see so that they better recognize who you are and that they are not of this world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen.
Well, brothers and sisters, as we go, let me encourage you. One of the ways that you can put your faith on display for the world to see so the world can better recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for you is to get baptized. So don't forget to go to citytribe.church slash baptism to find out more about digital baptisms and to figure out how you can get signed up and participate. Also, I made this very special announcement last week. I'm going to revisit it right now. Our lead pastor, Doug Robbins, has a certain vision for our tribe, and I have an opportunity to be a part of helping attain that vision. So I am recruiting. I am putting together a team of harvest gatherers, people who are going to help gather the harvest because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so if you have prayed to deliberately deny yourself and prioritize others, if you have prayed to allow the counselor to make the calls in your life, well, then hit me up. I want you on my team. 210-920-0405. Shoot me a text. Let's have a conversation about what that vision is, how you can participate. Also, as we go, one of the ways you can deny yourself, prioritize the kingdom movement, and let the counselor make the call in your life is to sow a seed into this ministry. I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, what should I contribute? Should I trust this organization to steward my resources? Do I sincerely believe that if I invest in your kingdom that you will bless me? And see what he says. And depending on what he says, when he makes that call, sow a seed into this kingdom movement. You can give by mailing your offering. You can give by texting. The information is on the screen. Or you can give by visiting citytribe.church slash tithe. So another way you can allow the counselor in your life to make the call for you is to pray. Holy Spirit, with whom should I share this message or other city tribe messages. So make sure you're sharing these messages. Continue to be evangelist. Deny yourself and prioritize others' well-being. They need to hear the message of Jesus. So whether in your own words or share the link to our city tribe messages, make sure you're sharing. And also subscribe. Subscribe to City Tribe Media, whether our YouTube channel or via Apple Podcasts. And follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Stay connected with us so that we can together as a tribe be constantly connected with our counselor and allow him to make the calls in our lives. Now with that, brothers and sisters, I love you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And here is a quick benediction as you go. May you deliberately deny yourself and purposefully prioritize others that you may put Jesus's love on display and knowing how impossible of a task that is, May you stay constantly connected to the counselor and let him make the calls in your life so that you may be blessed. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.